Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. So we are uh, beginning a, a series that's going to just run us up to Easter on the crucifixion. Uh, no surprise there, hopefully. Uh, the crucifixion, Easter come in, Easter Sunday, Good Friday. And um, uh, there are reasons why we've done it. And I think if we can go, it's probably not the next slide, the slide after that. So this picture, how, how many of you have ever seen this picture before? Okay, now I know some of us have seen it because Steve got it, yeah, so some of us have seen it. But if, uh, if you've, you know, most of us have never seen this picture before. In the opening scene of the film Selma, I don't know, how, how many of you have seen the film Selma? Okay, five of us, okay, cool. Um, the, film, the opening scene of that film, the film is really about a, a part of Martin Luther King's struggle during the civil rights movement in the 60s. The opening scene of the film depicts a historic event that, was, that happened during that time. And it was, a, it was a terror bombing that became a major turning point in the civil rights movement. On Sunday, the 15th of September, 1963, four little black girls were killed by a bomb that was planted in their church by the Ku Klux Klan. This picture depicts a window that now sits in that area, and it's called the Wales window. It was sent to that church by the country of Wales. It was a gift from the people of Wales to that church in response to that bombing. It shows a black Christ hanging just off the cross, a picture that embraces in full the suffering and sin of humanity, for which he died, but also the strength and power of God as he overcomes. You can look at it in more detail. And it's the front cover of a book called The Crucifixion, out of which we've been inspired, if you like, to uh, preach on the cross between now and Easter. And to look at different perspectives on the cross and to hopefully draw closer to God because of the cross and our understanding, and to do, as has already been encouraged today, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to lift our gaze from ourselves to him. And as we do that, all the other names do fade away. All the other thoughts and ideas do find their rightful place. So we're going to be looking at the cross from these different perspectives. We're going to be looking at the deliverance that the cross brings from the power of sin. And remember we sang right at the beginning, nothing but the blood. Yeah? And we've got to understand that that's true. Nothing but the blood can wash away your sin. Nothing but the blood. No matter the amount of help, no matter the amount of counselling you go to, no matter the amount of money you spend or exercise you do, nothing but the blood can wash away your sin. We're going to look at the cross as a demonstration of God's justice and his mercy. The holiness of God puts Jesus on the cross, but the justice of God is is fulfilled in the cross. We're going to look at the cross as a place where Jesus suffered 
You may suffer, but Jesus suffered for you on the cross. And we're looking at, look at the cross as a place where hostility is overcome and Jesus brings peace. So we're going to be looking at the cross and the power of the cross. Today, though, we begin by looking at the cross as the centerpiece of the Christian faith and a surprising demonstration of God's wisdom. The cross is a place of wisdom. And we're going to read, just going to read a few verses from the book of 1 Corinthians, verses 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that sense of your presence with us today, that sense of your Holy Spirit being in the room, speaking to us, reassuring, comforting, drawing, changing our hearts. And I pray, Father, even as I speak, you will continue to do your great work in Jesus' name. Amen. The message of the cross brings two very different responses. I suppose in that sense, and I don't mean to cheapen it, please forgive me, it's like Marmite in that sense. You either love Marmite or you hate Marmite. I I hate Marmite. Who, Who loves Marmite? Yeah, see, some people, and look, look how, did you see Maureen? Yes, I love Marmite. Yeah, well, I don't mean to cheapen the cross when I say that the cross brings different responses. It divides people, and this passage basically says, to those who are perishing, this is foolishness. But the very thing that is foolish to people who are perishing, to those who are being saved, it's power. Foolishness and power, the very same message. I don't know how many of you have seen um, the film The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Just put your hands up if you've ever seen the film The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Yeah, most of us have seen that. And there's that moment towards the end of the film that, that I, suppose the, I suppose it's the moment of the stone table when, when Aslan walks up through the crowds of all the demons and all the evil. He walks up to the stone table. He allows them to knock him down, to shave his mane, to put him on and to kill him. He allows it all to happen. He's humiliated and he is killed. And he's, he willingly goes there. And, it, and you look at it and you think, that is foolish 
Why would you do that? Why would you willingly give yourself in that kind of way? Aslan gives himself in this kind of way, in this foolishness. And the witch thinks, I've won. I've won. It's all over. Aslan is dead. There was, there was a law in place that said somebody had to give a life for somebody. And Aslan has given his life. And I love that moment where Aslan talks about there was a deeper magic at work. There was something that was deeper than that. What appeared foolish was actually wisdom. We look at the wisdom of our age and we compare it to the wisdom of God. And we live in an age where there is much wisdom. There is much wisdom. I remember meeting with someone a number of few years ago now. Uh, I met with a, a, a young guy and he had, he had kind of got into, I don't even know what it was, some philosophy, some idea. He'd been watching YouTube and some guy had been writing all sorts of what to me seemed nonsense on YouTube, but to him it was wisdom. The wisdom of this age. And it's really interesting because despite the fact that there are millions of Christians around the world and people are confessing Christ around the world, maybe it's diminishing, but around the world it is growing, despite the fact that there are millions of Christians around the world, the wisdom of this age is godless. The wisdom of this age promotes what you would appear to be good values, Tolerance and equality and fairness and love and unity. Individuality, generosity. It seeks to protect the young and the vulnerable. It praises the strength and the intellect and the power of humanity. That's the wisdom of this age. To achieve and to overcome. You, you read about people or you hear people who achieve things and they'll talk about the power of, 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 of the human, human spirit to be able to overcome stuff. And if I can do it, you can do it. The wisdom of this age. The world is more wealthy now than ever and it's more connected than at any other point in history. The wisdom of this age. And then we see the wisdom of God in the message of the cross. It was the wisdom of God that sent his son to die on the cross. It wasn't a mistake, it was wisdom. It was wisdom that meant Jesus died, not just died on the cross, but he died a humiliating death, a painful death. He was separated from his father. It was the wisdom of God. In the passage, it speaks of Jews and Greeks uh, rejecting it for different reasons. And today we don't talk about Jews and Greeks, but people do reject the wisdom of God for different reasons. They reject it, some. Some reject it because it offends. They stumble at the cross, like the Jews did. Yeah. The cross became an offence to them. Some people today, you know, because you've spoken, are offended by the cross. They're offended by the idea that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, and that's the only way to be saved. They're offended by that. Others are not offended by it. They just think it's nonsense. It's foolishness. How, do you still believe that? I, I, thought, I thought people stopped believing that a hundred years ago. And, and for us as Christians, when, when people say that inside, we're like, oh, we're embarrassed because we almost want to go, I do still believe. I do. But we're embarrassed by it. But it's the wisdom of God. It's not something to be embarrassed about. It's easy to say that, I know. You don't need to be embarrassed. I get it, though. I get it. 
People fail to see how God's wisdom could be displayed in the humiliating death of his son on a cross. But it's interesting that this passage tells us even the failure to see that is part of God's wisdom. It says, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom didn't know him. So it's almost God's wisdom that through your wisdom, you're never going to know me. And again, it's helpful for us to understand that. We will never, people will never know God through human wisdom. It doesn't bring you to God. That isn't the conclusion of human wisdom, that you come and find God. In the end, I searched and searched in, in all my wisdom. No, you don't find God through human wisdom. You find God when you realize human wisdom doesn't get you there. In the wisdom of this age, or human wisdom, let's be honest, it is hugely compelling. It is attractive, it is desirable. The dream of material wealth, of freedom to be whoever you want, the idea of tolerance and fairness, the desire to be significant, to make a difference, the desire to not only be the best, but to look the best I can be, it's hugely desirable. We're drawn to it. We're drawn to it. That's, that's what Instagram's about. You're drawn to it. You see the pictures, even though you know, oh, this is people at their best, this sometimes isn't even true. You're drawn to it. There is something in you that is drawn by the attractiveness of worldly wisdom, worldly ideas, worldly thoughts. Every Tuesday morning, I go to pray with a, a group of other leaders. It's Normally, I leave my house just after six o'clock. I am amazed the number of people I see running, jogging. I'm amazed the number of people I see going to the gym. There's a gym I pass. I'm amazed at the number of people who are up at 10 past six and they're in the gym. Now, I know there are one or two here. It, that's, Simi does that, yeah? So Simi's up. I get it. Yeah, not saying it's wrong to be up jogging. But I do sometimes, I, I can't help but think to myself sometimes, I wonder if Christians are up praying right now. There are people who, in the wisdom of this world, give up their sleep in order to jog. And I'm not saying jogging is wrong. I, I've jogged, well, I jogged once or twice. Yeah, <laughs> 25, 30 years ago. I jogged to the end of my road and I thought, do you know what, I'm an adult now, I don't have to do this. I remember doing it at cross-country at school and I had to do it. And then there came a point where I don't have to do this. So, so people, are, people are jogging. The wisdom of this world says I need to look the best that I can look. I mean, we mask it around health and all sorts of other things. But in the end, it's worldly wisdom that means we do it. And the Bible does say tra train yourselves for godliness. It, it does tell us physical training has some value. Some value. But godliness has value for all things. Train yourself for godliness. How many of us, are, we're exercising and then we're praying and all of those kinds of things. So the wisdom of this age, the wisdom of this world is incredibly attractive. It is incredibly desirable. The most popular people on YouTube, the most popular people on Instagram or on Twitter, they're not Christian. Yeah, it's not someone who's quoting the Bible every day. It's someone sometimes just quoting nonsense. But it's very popular. By contrast, the wisdom of God can appear boring and irrelevant. 
That's why people are shocked when you say you still believe. Really? Oh, I, I didn't know people still believe that stuff. The wisdom of God tells us it's not about how you look or what you achieve or what you acquire or what people think of you. It's, it's actually the very opposite of that. God's wisdom is displayed on what's on the inside of you, not what comes out of the outside of you. God's wisdom is about what you give, not what you gain. It's about what he thinks of you, not what others think of you. God's wisdom is supremely displayed in the submission of his son to a humiliating death on the cross. And as I said before, for some people that's offensive. And for others that's nonsense. We must understand this though. For all the attractiveness of earthly wisdom, for all the power of earthly wisdom, it is false. It is false. It's fake. It's not true. Self-gratification, selfishness, self-centeredness do not bring a more tolerant society. They do not lead to fairness and equality. All of those values that we bring into our society about fairness and tolerance that we build, there is even greater poverty than ever. There is even greater division and confusion than ever. People walk away from relationships without a blink of an eye. People engage in casual encounters without a second thought. And we know that those things leave scars. They do. We know that, yet people still do it. People don't really care. You can be drawn to something, and even then you know, you know it's not the right thing. It's why, and I've said this before, it's why, it's why in the world we have to separate the public and the private. We must do it. Because we know that the private life that I live is, so, is awful. What's behind the scenes is awful. I, I can just about present good publicly, but behind it, it's awful. So we separate it. We don't want to judge this by this or this by this. We have to do it because the wisdom of this age is false. It produces pain. It produces hurt. It can look attractive. It can look compelling. But the more money you have, you don't become more generous. The more friends you have, you don't become a better person. But it's tempting. And it's not just tempting for us as individuals. To be honest, it's tempting for the church. So we end up setting up churches that kind of, they're kind of based on worldly wisdom, but we kind of put a Christian kind of glow over it. Whereas the wisdom of God is powerful. What people truly seek in the wisdom of the world that they can't achieve, they can achieve through the wisdom of God. Owning God's wisdom displayed in the cross breaks the power of sin, brings justice, overcomes suffering, brings peace from hostility. Owning the wisdom of God does that. These things cannot be achieved outside of the cross. It's owning Christ crucified that saves us. I didn't know we were going to sing that song, but it was so relevant, that song, nothing but the blood. What can wash away 
my sin. You see, if you can't have your sin washed away, nothing is really going to change. Yeah? If you can't, have sin, if you can't deal with sin, nothing changes. No matter what else you do, nothing really changes. It's just like moving, the, the, I suppose, the chairs around on the Titanic. It doesn't, it doesn't help the ship. Yeah, the ship's going down by moving the chairs. It might change what you're seeing, but it doesn't change anything. And there is no way of dealing with sin but for the cross. That's the wisdom of God. God is bigger, he is wiser, and he is stronger. I mean, this passage tells us, it's a challenge to us, that God's foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom and his weakness is stronger than man's strength. When I was a teenager, I used to play table tennis. I play a little bit now, but I, I, when I, I mean, that sounds grand. I, I used to just play at school. I used to play with my mates. I wasn't in a club, but I used to play table tennis. And we used to go early to school and we'd put out the, the classroom tables, we'd line them up, we'd have about six tables, and we'd put our blazers down for the net, and we'd play table tennis. And probably I thought I was quite good, and I, was, and I remember playing this guy, who I knew was quite good, and he was a friend of my brother's, he was younger than me, but he was a friend of my brother's who was older than me, and they did play in a club. And I remember playing him one, one morning, and it was a, it was a hard game, uh, I was really trying to do my best, my big shots and everything. Uh, and I lost. Yeah, I lost. And at the end of the game, this guy said to me, do you want me to tell you something? I said, what? He said, I was playing with my left hand. I was like, what? And he's right-handed. Yeah? He was playing with his left hand, the hand that doesn't play table tennis, the hand that never holds a bat. He beat me. Yeah? I played with my best hand. I did my best shots. I, I remember I was pulling them all out. He beat me playing. He was almost messing about. He beat me. And I, I've never forgotten that, yeah? I've never forgotten that moment when he told me, do you want me to tell you something? Like he's smiling, yeah? And, and, and when you're 15 and somebody who's 14 beats you, it's a bigger deal. When you're 35 and somebody who's 25 beats you, you're like, okay, I can handle that. But when you're 15, him being 14, he might as well have been four, yeah, in terms of how I felt, where I felt embarrassed, I felt, oh, okay. And I, well, ha, 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 I didn't know what to say. <laughs> yeah? That's a really, really weak example of the difference. Because when he played his, his weakest point, at his weakest point, he was still better than me. At his weakest point, he was better than me. And that's what this passage is telling us. God's foolishness is wiser than our wisdom. And you think about, some people are really wise. Yeah? You think about how intelligent some people are. Some, some of you are. You think about intelligence, how intelligent some people are. You think about how strong some people are. And this passage is telling us that God's foolishness is wiser than the wisest of men. And his weakness is stronger than the strongest of men. You see, our capacity for personal salvation and deep change is very, very limited. We don't want to admit that, but it's true. We can't do it. 
It's the difference between powering something with, you know, a, a couple of Duracell batteries, and you think because your torch works when you put some Duracell batteries in it, you can power a city. Well, of course you can't. It's nonsense. It's foolishness. It's a poor example of the difference between human wisdom and God's wisdom. In our wisdom, we've developed technology, the internet, we can fly, we can swim, we can run, we can lift weights, we can do all sorts of things, but those things don't mean we can break the power of sin, that we can stop lying, that we can not be selfish and that we're not lustful. None of those things help us here. Something needs to help us here because this is the thing that really matters. It's great if you can swim the channel. But if you swim in the channel and you lose your husband, what's the point? The cross remains the centerpiece of the Christian faith and human history. We as the church must remember that lest we inadvertently move it to the side in an attempt to make Christianity popular. As I said, sometimes the church can take on human wisdom without realising it. We can become worldly wise in the church. And if we miss this very point, that it's through the cross that salvation comes. It's through the cross that the power of sin is broken. If you miss that, then you miss it. God's wisdom. Secondly, we must always understand, difficult as this is, that the cross will be foolishness to some and a stumbling block to others, i.e. people will reject it. People will reject it. So when people make you feel small by saying, do you, you really still believe that? When they make you feel small about that, you must in, at least inside go, yeah, I do believe that. And you hold on to that. Yeah? It's not your job to try and make everybody Christian. That's not your job. And, and if you fail in making people Christian, you get, oh, you know, they didn't come to faith. Coming to faith is not your thing. It's his thing. It's a sovereign thing. You can pray and you can do stuff, but it's his thing. If people reject it, don't, don't like take it personally. Oh, that really... No. It's not your thing. It's God's thing. So how then, just quickly, do I embrace God's wisdom? I've got two, just two things. And then in a moment, we're just going to sing a song. Maybe nothing but the blood. No, I do. The first way we can do that, embrace God's wisdom, is to immerse yourself. You see, the world's wisdom, we are bombarded with it every single day. We are bombarded with worldly wisdom. We are bombarded with the idea that we can achieve, that we can be exactly who we want to be, that we can look beautiful all the time, that, that, that we can be successful. We're, we're bombarded with it. And not only are we bombarded with it, with worldly wisdom, we are very, very intentionally, it's, it very, very intentionally keeps God out of it. That's what the secular world will do. It keeps God out of it. So all the good values that you might believe as a Christian, God is kept out of them in the world. Do you know what? I had a little revelation the other day. I was, I was, I was preaching in another church and uh, I was doing a little bit of a thing around the Tower of Babel. And you know the story of the Tower of Babel. It says, it says at the beginning of Genesis 11, <clears throat> when the world was um, 
you know, everyone spoke with one voice and they had one common purpose and one common, common language. Um, and that sounds really positive. The world had a common purpose and a common language. It was a really positive thing. And then what happens is it says whilst it had that, they decide we're going to build a tower to God and we're going to make a name for ourselves in the tower. And God says, no, no, you're not. And he, he, what he does is he confuses the languages and he splits them up right across the world. And you could think to yourself, that seems a bit drastic, God. That you would, you would, you would separate them to the far-flung corners of the world because they were going to build a tower. That just seems a little bit drastic. As I thought about that, I realised... The thing with God is unity and togetherness and all of that outside of him doesn't work. It doesn't work to do it where God is not in it. So no matter how united you are, we love that value. No matter how fair you want to be, we love those values. Outside of God, they don't work. They don't work. And so God was saying, no, I can't have people coming together in that kind of united way outside of me. And so when Jesus unites, he unites us into him, into God. So the, so the first thing, immerse yourself. The world bombards us with human wisdom. We must counteract that by regularly immersing ourselves in God's wisdom and God's truth. Yeah, Read the Bible. Engage in church life. Why is it so important? Because the further the world moves away from God, the easier it is for us to compromise on issues of faith. If you live in an environment where people tell big lies, small lies will seem okay. If you live in an environment where people, people engage in casual sexual encounters every day and it doesn't make any difference, being in a relationship where you're not married and having sexual encounters will seem okay to you. But our wisdom is not the world's wisdom. We want to go with God's wisdom. So the world may move further and further away from God. You do not want to get caught up in that drift. You want to hold yourself in the place that God would have you. So immerse yourself. Sometimes we think living in a Christian bubble is wrong, don't we? In fact, we see that as a negative. Oh, yeah, man, I just need to get out of that Christian bubble. Yeah, get into the real world. Sometimes that's what we think. Do you know what? To be honest, some of us need to find a Christian bubble. You need to live among the church. You need to live among God's people. You need to listen to Christian music. You need to read the Bible more. That's what some of us need to do. Yeah? We need to find ourselves being immersed in God's wisdom, in God's way. We need to become way more sensitive to what the Holy Spirit directs us to. Yeah, way more sensitive, even to the point where we're like, does God want me to do that? Not in a super spiritual way. God, do you want me to put my left foot forward first or my right foot? No, I'm not talking about that. But to live your life very much with God in mind all the time. Some of you need to immerse yourself there. You don't immerse yourself there. You think the Christian bubble is, is wrong because I can't be missional, I can't be evangelistic. No, you need the Christian bubble. Particularly in today's world, you need the Christian bubble. You need to be in an environment where people are honouring God so that you honour God. If you're in an environment where people don't honour God, after a while you'll think not honouring, you'll, you'll, you'll just drift down there. 
Secondly, the second way that you can embrace God's wisdom is to recognise in all the things that you do and all the things that you want to do, we all want to live free. You don't need to be a Christian to want to live free. We all want to be generous. You don't need to be a Christian to want to be generous. We all want to be faithful. We all want to be at peace with ourselves and peace with others. For the Christian, you need to recognise and understand that you can only achieve that through Christ crucified. You cannot achieve those things any other way. You can't achieve it by believing in Christ crucified and something else. And you can't achieve it by rejecting Christ crucified. If you want to live God's way, immerse yourself and recognise what he does for you and what you can't do for you. You're the Duracell battery trying to power the city. You can't do it. He's the electric grid that powers everything. Immerse yourself in him. Recognise. To some, this may seem foolishness or be offensive, but to us, it's the power of God for those who believe. Let's pray. In a moment, we're just going to sing a song, a uh, song that we sang earlier. But I, I just feel to, uh, you know, even in my wallowing and my wanderings around, maybe not a perfect talk, but I just feel that some of us need to respond to this message, yeah? Um, when Jesus went to the cross, we need to understand it was humiliating for him. It was humiliating. Not just humbling, it was humiliating. But he did that. And some of us, we are way too caught up in worldly wisdom. Way too caught up. In fact, the world's way is your way. You just do the world stuff and go to church. Or maybe you think way too much of just what's going on out there. You're, you're way too caught up. In the, and you're, you're, you're drawn by, by all that the world offers. Or today, I think you just need to make your own little stand and say, no more. No more. And I, I want to encourage you in a moment to stand. And when, and when you stand, what, part of what you're doing is you're saying to God, sorry, there needs to be some repentance here today for people who have got caught up in the wisdom of this world. And you have found the cross to be a stumbling block. You have found it to be offensive. You have found it struggle to understand, oh, it just seems, is it real? Is it true? For some of you today, you just need to take a moment and go, it's true. It's the power of God for salvation. And you need to accept it. And you need to immerse yourself in it. You need to find the Christian bubble and you need to unashamedly live in it. So I, I just sense that that's for some of us. So I'm going to just encourage you, before we all stand to pray, I'm going to encourage, if it's you, let's, let's close our eyes and bow our heads. I just want you to stand where you are. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. 
If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.